the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Probably will recall me mentioning the Peak Persona program on previous episodes, and we've also had previous guests, Michael and Wayne, who are Bean Ninjas team members talk about their experiences with the Peak Persona program. So today we've invited Aaron Birkby, who is the founder of the Peak Persona program, onto the show. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So Aaron, we usually start our episodes by asking our guests to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their backstory and what's taken them to where they are now. Sure. My uh, my backstory is pretty random. So. Um, I actually went through uni and, and did a science degree in physics and maths and got to the end of that and realised there weren't really any jobs in Australia that interested me. Um, so I did a law degree and ended up working in a law firm for a little while and I, you know, I just had an adverse reaction to that environment. So then worked at PwC for a little while, um, but none of that really resonated with me. Um, then randomly applied for this job, which was in, um, it was actually intercepting telephone calls and I spent a bit of time working in the intelligence sector um, but all along the side from a young age I've been writing software so sort of running software and selling it through school and through uni but never really took it seriously as a business until randomly wrote some software um, actually for my brothers for their restaurant uh, which was doing sort of wi-fi billing and at the time no one was was doing any sort of wireless internet um, access authentication or billing and that turned into this fairly big business that we ran for the better part of nine years, ended up with about 6 million users in nine countries and uh, sold that in 2012 and then had sort of split up that business, sold it in parts and spun off a couple of other things around that time, but really then got into the startup ecosystem. So for the last six years, been playing around running startup accelerators. Um, My day job now with Startup Catalyst running international missions to places like Silicon Valley, Israel, Asia, Europe, Um, and just really working with a lot of different entrepreneurs and investors from that tech startup community. So, um, yeah, really random sort of sliding doors career path. None of it I can say was ever planned. It just sort of it just sort of happened. Yeah, it sounds like a quite a diverse but really interesting background. And so all of that has now led on to you starting the Peak Persona program, which is something that I've been involved in and found very beneficial. And can you talk a little bit about what inspired, first of all, what the program is and then what inspired you to start that program? Yes, it's actually really weird how it started. So um, I might talk about how it started because then it frames what it is now. But uh, so Peter Ellis is the CEO of River City Labs. She and I were running a uh, facilitator training session. So training facilitators how to deliver events. And it was a two-day workshop. And in part of that, we talked about how we prepare ourselves when we go to facilitate an event. And I, I shared that I'm naturally an introvert. So I, I do things like I use music playlists to put me into, a, into an extrovert state. Um, how I like all these little techniques that we developed and everyone in the uh, like all the participants were much more interested in that content they that was actually what they wanted to hear so they asked us to spin up another workshop for that which we did and it just sort of grew dynamically by people asking so it got to the point where uh, they were asking if we could run a really intensive program so we put up a, a type form to see if anyone would register and we had 54 people sign up ridiculously fast we realized well there's a need here so we started peak persona and basically what it is now today it's it's online programs so 
we look at the habits, techniques and routines of high achievers, whether that's entrepreneurs, athletes, content creators, and basically we distill them down into tangible action items and we deliver one each day over the period of 30 days. So participants, basically every day they get an email with a short video that introduces them to some sort of technique or routine or uh, even a psychology principle distilled down into something they can act on and experiment with in the day. And at the end of the day, they actually do a short reflection video on really not so much what they did, but how it made them feel. And they do that in a cohort. So everyone gets to see what each other, how each other experiences it. Um, so we've been running that for a while now. We've put over 150 people through from eight different countries. Um, and it's sort of now taking off where now we're doing deep dive programs. So we have this level up program where we look at things like decision making, time management, goal setting. We've been asked to run programs on relationships and all different aspects. Um, but I really feel like we're still in this discovery mode of, of what is this and where is it going? And I know when I did the program, the 30 day shift program for the first time, one of the first challenges was around waking up early in the morning. And part of the program when I was going through it was getting up at 4 or 5 a.m. and then having some time for myself to set the standard for the day. And could you talk about why that's an element of the program and, and where you see or how you see that helping entrepreneurs, athletes or whoever it is in setting up their day? Yeah, so I, look, I think I think most of us can relate to a period in our life and, and many of your listeners might still be in this mode where you sort of wake up and you get dressed and you, you go through the mechanics of getting to work you arrive into your work day and you just have this sensation of the day happens to you. Like people start asking for things or you start reading and responding to emails and we can end up finishing a working week without ever having really worked on something that we chose to work on. We tend to be reactionary. Whereas the whole purpose of waking up early, so we ask people to wake up much earlier than they normally do. We call it the pre-dawn to really use that time to invest in themselves and the a couple of funny things happen. Like when we say that, a lot of people think that you start work earlier, but it's it's actually not about work at all. It's actually about doing whatever is meaningful to you. So it could be exercise, it could be uh, yoga, it could be reading, it could be meditating, it could be doing something creative. But the goal is to actually put yourself into a peak mindset so that you, when you do arrive at work, you're in this optimal state. Like you're actually living a bit more deliberately. You're actually choosing the emotional state of arriving work. You're choosing to be more in control of your life. Um, so that simple act of waking up earlier, actually, it, it's like, actually, Tim Ferriss has this great quote. He, he puts it as, you know, that morning routine is your way of arriving into your work day, like you're pulling up like a rock star in a bulletproof limo and it doesn't matter what the world is firing at you, you're pumping on all cylinders and just energised and ready to smash your day as opposed to sort of being that victim mentality where the day happens to you. So that's a key part of the morning routine. And, look, for some it's quite hard because they're night owls. But if you look at most people who are night owls, their night is actually spent recovering from like the damage of their day that happened to them. They sit and vegetate in front of Netflix. They'll drink some glasses of wine. And, and all of that is the recovery mode as opposed to shifting it to a morning routine where you're engineering your day and engineering your mindset. Great. That's a great explanation. And I like the way that you described it in terms of arriving into your day and, and taking control rather than allowing the day to happen to you. Have, have you had any interest or surprises coming out of the program in terms of people's feedback or responses to the 30-day shift? Uh, yeah, a lot. So I think, um, I don't even know where to start because there's so many, but one is the ripple effect. So often we have an individual go through the program 
and their, their wife or husband or spouse or their children will also pick up on the same habits and routines. So it ends up this ripple effect where suddenly everyone in the house is getting up earlier. Everyone in the house, I mean, one of the things we get people to do, as you would know, is make their bed every morning. And that starts having this ripple effect and their houses become more organized as a result. The family sort of communicates better. Um, I think the second thing that's really blown me away is I always thought that this was a unique problem for entrepreneurs, like this sense of just burnout, overwhelm, um, the, the pressure of performing. But we've had psychologists, lawyers, accountants, doctors, all different professions do the program and everyone actually has articulated the need for this in their sector. And we've also been asked to run this for school children, like primary school and teenagers. So I think I'm just blown away by the fact that everyone actually experiences these same challenges in life. And this sort of, as much as we frame this as, you know, sustainable high performance, a lot of it is really like work-life balance and actually having a better quality of life. And I think everyone struggles with that challenge. It's not a unique thing just to entrepreneurs. And I think that leads nicely into a conversation about some of the other programs that you run. And you mentioned that one of them was around time management. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the key techniques that you teach or have the participants of the time management program go through. Sure. So I think, you know, a big part of time management actually starts with our mentality. So I think, you know, going back to what I mentioned before about those concepts of being in control of our time and deliberately choosing how we spend our time, that actually starts with the recognition that we're in control of how we spend our time. And I think many people say they're busy and they don't have time to do X, Y, Z, and they talk about spending their time, but they don't actually realise that everyone has the same amount of time. High achievers have the same amount of time as people who aren't achieving at the level they want to. The difference is, you know, when you change your language around it, so how do I, instead of spend my time, how do I invest my time? And taking ownership of when you say you're busy, that's a choice. Everything that you do, even if it's an obligation to someone else, it is actually a conscious choice that you're making how you spend your time. And that, like, some participants are quite confronted by that when they, you talk, when you tell them, look, this is actually your choice. Your life is by your design. They want to deny that. They want to blame someone else or say, no, no, it's because my boss asked me to do this or this or this. But really, ultimately, we all have that control. I think in terms of um, techniques, there's a lot of different techniques. One I'd shout out to your listeners is um, the Eisenhower Matrix, which you can Google. There's plenty of information online, but it's a very simple technique for mapping where you're spending your time across important and non-important and urgent and non-urgent tasks, which then identifies those things that you should be eliminating versus those things you should be focusing on. Um, but also, I think, you know, really it starts with getting much better at saying no. Um, we all tend to say yes, and, and there is this evolution of yes, where in the early days of anything new, we have to say yes to a lot of things to build credibility and experiment and discover. But over time, we need to get better at saying no so we free up more time. Um, and I think the last point I'd make is realising that when we talk about time management, I think, again, most people make the mistake of thinking just in a work context, and you need to look holistically across your whole life. We we often have those sensations of overwhelm and burnout and other things because we're not factoring in our personal life and we're not factoring in quality time. So when we talk about time management, a lot of it is how do we actually work less hours and actually enjoy more life in the rest of our hours? So I think that that's an important point to make as well. Thanks for that. And I like what you, yeah, you've made some some great points. And I actually remember 
going when I went through, I think it was the decision making level up program too, thinking about the Eisenhower matrix. And when you look at all of the decisions and how you choose to spend your time in a day, it's quite a valuable exercise to see how much you can be reacting to rather than choosing to work on those important tasks that might drive your career or your business forward. When you talk about quality time and time management relating to your personal life as well, do you have any any tips around how, how to actually implement that? Because I think there's a lot of talk about work-life balance, but sometimes it feels easier to say yes to a client or to your boss than it, than it is to finish work at a set time or, or to prioritise something else. I think a, a lot of people struggle with that so that they know the theory of it, but, but how do they actually apply that? Yeah, and, and you're spot on. Like, it's, it's a really good point. I think there's an element of discipline required, and so the, it's more like how do we maintain those boundaries? So I think starting with number one, like actually setting clearly defined boundaries, like these are my work hours. And for many self-directed people, like, like entrepreneurs, they have the, the challenge is they have that freedom. Like they can work whatever hours they want. They can work from home. But what that means is everything tends to get blurred. So first of all, you need to define really clear boundaries of these are my work hours and, and be quite strict on these are my, my personal hours. I think part of that, like in, for me, for example, I, I'm asked to go to a lot of events or I used to go to a lot of events and I now say no to them. Um, it's one of the metrics I sort of have is um, what, like am I contributing to the event or am I consuming the event? And anything where you're anything you're doing where you're just consuming content or just consuming an event, you're not actually contributing to it. I would actually say no to. Whereas when you get a chance to contribute, they're the things that you give up the time for. And I think it's it's also like it sort of comes back to understanding your why and your purpose. So for me, um, when I get an opportunity, it's remembering what the opportunity the opportunity cost of that opportunity is. So in other words, if I'm asked to go to a an evening event, it's the immediate thing I think of is well, that's sacrificing time with my kids and I'd rather be with my kids. So it's been really conscious of what am I sacrificing? What am I giving up in order to do X, Y, Z? And I think there's a few other quick ones as well. Like, you know, we, we talk in the program, like unplug and digital detox, like actually putting devices away um, in many, like we actually consume a lot of our time just by having a device and being distracted by notifications, even when we're sitting at home with our loved ones. So to have a better quality of life, just, when you walk in the door of your house, like put the devices away, lock them in a drawer, um, uninstall apps off your phone, disable all notifications. Um, so digital detox is a big one. And I think the other one as well is respecting your weekends, like really shifting your mindset to give yourself permission to take time out for yourself and time out for the things that you love doing and, and for loved ones so that a weekend becomes the actual end of your week. It's your chance to rejuvenate. It's your chance to extend your mind into other activities, connect with loved ones and do all those self-nourishing things. And the counter to that is many people say, oh, but I'm, I love what I do. I, I could work 24-7 because I love it. The challenge is that's not sustainable, but also you won't operate at your peak. Like when you actually use different parts of your brain over the weekend doing different things, you perform much better when you come back to work and you'll maintain your passion for your work much longer. So again, it's that little mindset shift to prioritise yourself over your work or over your responsibilities to others. And just hearing you talk about that reminds me of if I'm surfing or if I'm on a long drive, that sometimes that's when I have my best ideas. It's not actually when I'm sitting in front of my computer. 
And I know in the past, I have had trouble creating boundaries around when I do work and when I don't work. And, and often, especially in the early years of images, I would be working on the weekend, which would then mean that I wouldn't have opportunities to do things like go on those long drives or go surfing. And so I wouldn't come up or have that thinking time to, to come up with those ideas. There's yeah, it's, it's very true, actually, because the surfing one is fantastic. Because I, I, I know this is a big one for you and a couple of my other friends. But you know when you have, you would relate to this, those moments of clarity when you're doing something like that or you go away on a holiday and you come back to your work and you, you have this moment of clarity. Like the fact is you can engineer that into your every, every week. You don't need to wait for that big holiday or that big moment. You can actually have those moments every single week, which will make you much more focused, just, just exactly like you find with the surfing. And that's Peak Personas actually helped me with that. With the early morning, my morning routine now is to get up and then as soon as it's light, which in summertime is easier at the moment, and then drive to the beach. And then if the surf's good, go for a surf. And if it's not, then I can go for a run or a, a beach walk. And I know that I love surfing and it puts me in a great state. But until I was getting up that early every morning, I wasn't going for a surf as frequently as I would like, which is silly when you know that these things can really help you. So I also wanted to chat with you a little bit about the decision-making program. I think there's a bit of overlap there with decision-making and time management. And I went through the Level Up decision-making program with you and really enjoyed it. I enjoy thinking strategically, but also learning about different frameworks and how to make good decisions and also reflect on decisions that you have made to, to see whether you can improve. So what would be the key takeaways or strategies in relation to the decision-making part of your program? Yeah, so decision-making, I, I really love that program. I, 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 like for myself, researching the content and then facilitating the discussions, I, I drew so much from it as well. And I think part of it is the realisation that there are so many different methodologies and really it's about like experimenting with what works for you. So uh, like you would recall, we covered a lot on, on gut intuition. So how do you actually train your gut? How do you recognise your intuitive response in a in a moment because ultimately when we have those responses in a decision that we have to make it's a reflection of our core values it's a reflection of our inherent experiences but also our subconscious mind is actually 10,000 times more powerful than our conscious mind so how do we then actually put ourselves into moments where we're sort of reverting our decision making to our subconscious rather than our conscious and that, that comes back to what we were just talking about, like things like going for a surf or for me it's like a long motorbike ride or a drive at night. gives me this, this clarity. When you remove yourself from the immediacy of your decision, you can have this clarity over it where it's more intuitive, you're in tune with your, your gut response. Um, I think then there's a whole heap of logical decision-making tools. So uh, we went through different systems of actually mapping out like pros and cons, actually measuring uh, the likelihood of outcomes. So. As a human, we tend to overestimate or over-exaggerate the downside. We're very risk-adverse naturally, and that comes from our genetic evolution of you know, being avoided, uh, sorry, trying to avoid being hunted by other animals and just live and survive, is that we actually overestimate the downside. So part of the process of actually writing down on a piece of paper the pros and cons of every decision, but also their likelihood of outcome and also their likely impact, like an actual measurable, tangible measure of the impact if it did go wrong or well then you can make this objective decision as well you end up with more clarity around okay if i remove emotion from this and i just look at this objectively there's actually this is my answer this is quite clear 
Then I think there's things as well where we separate, uh, so we call them filters, but it's like actually asking yourself key questions. So if you're facing a big decision, asking yourself, how will I feel about this in 10 years' time? Um, how would my future self feel about this? How would I feel about this if it was on the front page of a major newspaper publication or if this was public information that I'd made this decision? Um, or, but also using, I mean, we call it the boardroom, but having role models, which you just do in your head, but, I mean, for me, one role model would be Elon Musk. So I asked myself the question of what would Elon Musk do with this decision? What would his decision be? Um, and it's fascinating how everyone has very different role models that they put on that virtual board of advisors in their head, but they're all reflections of two things. One is we choose people, we admire people that we respect because they align with our values or because they have some sort of innate skill or ability that we don't naturally have ourselves. So by deflecting the decision to this imaginary version of Elon Musk in my head, I'm basically bringing it back to my core value system, but also I'm getting out of the immediacy of my own limiting beliefs about my abilities. And I'm projecting in, well, Elon Musk has these abilities which exceed mine, and this is what he would do. Okay, so if I remove fear, I should probably do that decision too. And you can apply that across 12 different role models in your head and, and end up with a bit more clarity. But ultimately, all of that is a process where we're removing our immediacy of emotion, our immediacy of limited resources or of obligations to others or our fear of hurting others and putting, basically extracting ourselves from that. So projecting longer timeframes, projecting unlimited resources, how would you then act or react and make a decision? Um, yeah, so over 30 days, we introduced a whole heap of different tactics and techniques around that. But you would know from the program, what really comes out of it is your own realisation of how we do layer in our, our emotions and limiting beliefs. And really, it's when you recognise them, you can suddenly free yourself from them and be a bit more in tune with that you know, intuition and gut reaction as well. Yeah, right. And I know this is something that probably lots of people would like to ask. The running the program, have there been any benefits for you personally? And then related to that, I'm interested in what your typical day looks like. I think lots of people are curious about that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's such a, yeah. So what do I get out? I get so much value out of the program. Um, it's phenomenal. So number one, I feel a sense of being accountable. And, you know, if, I, if I'm preaching this stuff, if I'm, if I'm sharing this content, I need to be practicing it myself. I feel this obligation um, to the awesome tribe of people that are in there. And I think that's the other key highlight for me is I'm blown away by the caliber of people amongst this now global network of alumni and just how much they give and how much they share. And I've learned so much, like listening to um, other founders, but all the alumni and hearing their personal journeys and their personal reflections I learn so much from that and I see, you know, traits of myself in them and I see what they go through and, and the lesson that they would drive and it just, it helps me unlock realisations about myself and my own limiting beliefs. So I get an incredible amount of value out of the program um, or all the programs. The, um, yeah, in terms of my daily, daily routine, so, um, so I wake up somewhere between 4 and 4.45. Usually it's about... For a long time, it was 4.21 on the dot. My body clock is pretty in sync where I don't need an alarm. Um, I get up, I go to the gym, and usually it's at the gym when I watch everyone's reflection videos. So as I'm doing my uh, training program, I'll be watching everyone's videos and commenting on all the, the channels and, and topics. 
Um, usually then on my walk back from the gym, I record a video back to the group sort of sharing my reflections on their reflections. Um, then I have breakfast with the kids, so I spend a fair bit of time in the morning with the kids. Um, I try and take the kids to school a couple of days a week, but really try and have very focused quality time with them. And then from then it's just work. So I get into work. I work through the day. Often I have a lot of events, so night times can be quite challenging for me. Um, but there are a couple of key days a week I, I get home, like when my son has uh, guitar lessons or something on, I, I'm always home for that. Um, and then I, my goal is to get to bed early. Now, that doesn't always happen because I do have a lot of events, but uh, I'd love to be in bed by 9 o'clock every night. With events, obviously, and I do travel a lot, so international travel, domestic travel really hampers my schedule. And then on weekends, I've, I'm now very good at completely disconnecting from my day job, but I still am quite involved in the Peak Persona channel. So staying on top of uh, yeah the, the programs that are underway and just communicating with the alumni, which I absolutely love, but I, I also need to be conscious of managing that. So I am really present with my kids and just present in the moment of my weekend. But yeah, weekends for me are about getting away. I like to get out of the house and go down the coast or something. Yeah, I, I, in the past, if I stayed at home, I would still see my large to-do list. And so going away is a great way to force yourself to to stop doing anything and, and be present with the people that yep. you talk about. I, I know that I was really curious about what your day looked like. So thanks for sharing that. And that also leads into a, some topics around travel and firstly business travel. I know you actually have some great tips around how you maintain your routines when you are traveling. Could you share a couple of those? Sure. So, um, number one, it comes down to preparing. So knowing that you're going to travel, you, you know, in your head already, you're going to struggle with like the time zone and sleep pattern and exercise and good diet. So for me, I always choose a hotel that has a gym in it or is close to a, like if it's in a, if it's domestic travel, I'll choose a hotel that's close to a Jets gym because I'm a member there. But if ideally we have a, a gym in the hotel, um, even if I can't find that though, like as soon as I land in a city, I love to go very first thing for a run. Just to, I love getting the orientation, like discovering a new city, getting out in the sunlight helps with the jet lag as well. But every morning I will get up early. I still do my pre-dawn every morning. I still go out for a run or do some sort of exercise. And if I, even if the hotel doesn't have a gym or it's raining outside, I'll do something in the stairwell, like the fire stairs or always try and do something. Um, I always make my bed in the hotel as well, which sounds weird because there's room service and they make it for me. But it's, it's as you would know from the program, it, it's the psychological impact of that act and setting yourself into a state of momentum for the day. Um, I try and eat healthy when I travel, but that's not always possible. In fact, especially with catalyst missions, they're um, pretty bad on the diet and there's lots of social events. Um, so diet I do struggle with a fair bit, but I always carry water with me when I travel. I drink, I consume a lot of water when I travel. And probably the other thing is um, lots of uh, music. So I use music playlists, like you would know from the program, having curated playlists for particular modes of action, like particular moods. And I listen to a lot of music when I travel. And the last tip for me, I think, um, which stands out is always making the effort to, to call home to my kids. So the tip I have there is, like FaceTime. If I just audio call, they're not that interested in chatting to dad. But if I use FaceTime and show them out in the street and I show them the different types of vehicles or the different buildings or architecture, whatever it is, they really love seeing that different culture or that different environment. So it's a great way to reconnect with the kids as well. Yeah. And speaking of travel, I think you've recently returned 
from an exciting trip to Everest Bake Base Camp. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yes, I just got back recently from um, from Nepal. So it was a, a two week uh, trip up to uh, Everest Base Camp, and it's amazing. Like any any everyone can can do this um, hike. It's really phenomenal actually seeing all the different types of people that, that go over. Um, an amazing experience, amazing countryside, amazing people. Um, so I highly recommend it. But yeah, for me, we had fantastic weather going up. I was feeling amazing up until the the night before we hit base camp. I, I came down with a really bad uh, altitude sickness. <laughs> and um, yeah, look, I was in a really bad shape. So I had uh, very bad diarrhea i was vomiting um massively out of breath uh to the point that i could only walk for short stints and i'd have to recover um it's a horrible like altitude sickness is incredibly horrible uh but yeah pushed through made it and, and in hindsight actually i think the being sick was actually a an amazing part of the experience for me something i'll never forget and i really had to push myself through on a, on a lot of different levels it's the hardest thing i've actually ever done was pushing through that sickness so Really grateful for the experience, but yeah, highly recommend it. I absolutely loved it. I think years ago, I've I've hiked in the Annapurna region of Nepal, but that, I think that was quite at a lower altitude. So, and I so I was lucky. I don't think I suffered from the altitude sickness, but I remember being it being incredible. Yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning. And what blew me away, I think, more than anything else, was was the variety of landscape. So. Like you would start out going through almost rainforest conditions and then into these open, almost like grassland plains, but still with these incredibly high mountains. And then as we got closer to Everest, it, it just becomes this lunar landscape of rock with that it's it's an altitude that doesn't support life. So there's there's no plants, there's no animals other than you know yaks that are brought in. It, it's it's a really phenomenal experience just for that variety of landscape and conditions. And did going to Everest base camp then make you want to climb Mount Everest? <laughs> so it's, it's really funny because I, I think you know this about me. I was always curious about wanting to summit Everest. So going to base camp was sort of a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, I definitely want to go because I want to I want to know if I could do Everest. And all the way up, I was like, I would love to do Everest, love to do Everest. Love to do Everest. <laughs> but then once I once we got to base camp, the Sherpas, so our lead Sherpa has summited nine times. Um, one of the other Sherpas had summited seven times um and they and uh our mission leader ben southall he uh was based at base camp for three months uh filming a documentary where he interviewed a lot of the climbers who'd gone up and some of those climbers had ultimately died so they shared like why people die on on everest and what goes wrong and and um listening to all that made me realize that even if you do everything absolutely spot on and, and you are on your game and get everything perfect with your summit you could still die because of someone else's poor choice. And that for me was a bit of a game changer. It's like, no, I, I really don't want to be in that position where I die because of someone else's decision or choice. Um, so no, I'm, I'm no longer interested in somebody <laughs> uh, Well, we're, we're coming to the end of the episode. Did you want to give a quick recap or share any other lessons or takeaways around the peak persona program, Aaron. Yeah, look, I think just just one key thing, which actually came up in the in the program that's currently underway uh, today, but it's just this concept that I think as a society we celebrate people who work really hard. We it's almost like a badge of honour that 
oh, I'm putting in 10-hour days, 12-hour days, and I haven't had a day off in X amount of time. And it, there's this expectation that we should be doing more. And I think it's completely wrong and it's a broken model. And I think we need to shift to actually enjoying our quality of life. So it's amazing how many people struggle with taking, you know, admitting to taking time off work or even saying, I go to the gym at lunchtime. Uh, or even saying, like in some cases, people feel pressured not even to take time out for lunch. They have to eat at their desk or, or skip meals. I think we need to change all of that. And I think we need to change the conversation and actually look at our quality of life and investing in our relationships more, investing time with loved ones and doing quality time activities and just having fun for the sake of having fun. Um, so, yeah, I encourage anyone out there, like, let's let's shift the paradigm, all these societal rules that turn people into lemmings Let's, let's totally destroy that and have more humans just being human. Uh, so if there's any way we can make that happen, like let's, let's get more humans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. And lastly, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, especially if they're interested in joining the Peak Persona program? Sure. So all the details for the program are up on uh, peakpersona.com. So that's our website or just Google Peak Persona. Um, otherwise, people can hit me up directly. I'm on all the social media channels. Like my Twitter handle is just Aaron Berkby. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot as well, um, AJ Berkby. Um, or just shoot me an email. So just Aaron at peakpersona.com. I'm more than happy for anyone to reach out at any time. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great. No, thanks for having me. This is really fun. 